But it's a joy to be with us uh, today to be able to bring God's word. And um, we're going to be bouncing around the text in, in a few different texts today. Um, so if you have a Bible, you have it handy. Uh, we're going to look at one specific text. Uh, but something that you might not know about me is that I'm a professional basketball player. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a professional basketball player. So uh, you, again, you might not know this. You know, I've been studying about the NBA for a very long time. Right? I've been watching a lot of games. I know about all the players. Right? I've been watching a lot of drills on the internet, YouTube videos on how to better shoot, to follow after the example of Steph Curry. I've got a couple of jerseys at home. You know, I, I, follow, I know all the statistics. I know all the players historically. I know who the best players are. I'm, I'm a professional basketball player. Now, you all know how ridiculous that sounds. Right? I mean, some of you might have been looking at me and wondering, is he be telling the truth? I, ho I hope you're not, right? Spud Webb gave us all hope. Spud Webb gave us all hope, right? So that's for some of you to look for homework. Unfortunately, some of us view Christianity like this. We study a lot about Christianity. We watch videos, YouTube videos. We know a lot about who Jesus is, but that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. The way I describe this kind of Christian is what I would describe as the bobblehead Christian. The person who has a lot of information up here, but no legs to back up what they actually believe up here. Or the way I would also describe it, it's like the man or the woman who does always the arm workouts and never the leg workouts. You know those folks who go to the gym, right? Super beefy up here, scrawny legs down here, right? Jesus did not invite us into a relationship with him that's based on knowledge. It's based on transformation. He's inviting us to have a different kind of life. Not to know a lot about him, but to follow him. To be a Jesus follower is what we're invited to do. Not a Jesus learner. Not to know a lot about Jesus, but to follow Jesus. Listen to the Gospels again and again. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will follow me. Follow me. My concern for us as Christians in this day and age is that we live in an information age where we think knowing about Jesus is enough. And Jesus would tell us it's not enough. In fact, his brother James, who wrote one of the New Testament uh, book, James, tells us that even the demons know about God and shudder. Here's the reality. The devil knows more about God than you do. That doesn't mean he follows Jesus. So what does it look like for us to be a Jesus follower? A Jesus follower. This is what we're going to look at in our text today. The title of the sermon is Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we're looking at a couple of different texts, but our text that we're going to focus most of our attention on comes in the, in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, you can open, but our text will be on the screen. I'll invite us to stand because if anything else is dismissed today, if nothing else sticks or stands out, the reality is that God will have spoken as we allow His Word to be heard and understood this morning. So our text today is from John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It should be on the screen. Are we up and running here, Monty? We good? Yes? 
There we go. Few, few, few back. We should go few, few more back. All right. I'll, I'll read the text for us. Oh, here we go. Here we go. John 14, starting in verse 12. This is our text for this morning. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, who, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it did not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If I'm going to say this a number of different ways, but if you're going to leave with one thing that I believe God wants us as a community to understand, it's this. God is less interested in what you know and more interested in what you do with what you know. God is less interested in just what you know and more interested in what you do with what you know. This is the thing, this is the thing that Jesus wants us to consider again and again. Or another way of thinking about it, as the title of the sermon will be for us this morning, it's doing the work of God by trusting the work of God doing the work of God by trusting the work of God. Let me say repeatedly also again and again, this is not a place of earning. There is no way for you or me to earn right standing with God. There is no way. You can work and work. You can read your Bible till the cows come home. You can pray on your knees for the rest of your life. It still will not earn you a place in eternity. That work has to have happened by the finished and perfect work of Jesus. We trust in that. Our response is out of obedience, in love, doing the work that God is inviting us into. We do it because he loves us, not to earn love from God. This isn't some perfect, always successful life that Jesus is inviting us to live we're a mess and we need his help. This is about learning to understand clearly the invitation that God has on our life to follow him, to follow him, not to learn about him, to follow him, to follow him. Doing the work of God by trusting the work of God. So these texts together are going to tell us about the work, the work that Jesus is inviting us into, and then how this work demonstrates his love and how this work demonstrates that we are in a relationship, in fact, with the God of the universe. So again, if you have your Bible and you're looking at John 14, a couple of things, again, to point out very clearly that Jesus does a number of times. This is, to give you context, this is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's giving the final instructions for his disciples about what this life that he's inviting them into will look like, and then how to teach others to do the same. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. John 14 through 19 is the upper room discourse of Jesus' final earthly instruction to his disciples. So he's, they're listening closely because Jesus is giving them these instructions that's going to set the tone for the kind of life he's inviting them to live and then invite others into. 
And again and again in John 13 and John 14 and John 15 and John 16 and John 17, he continues to say things like this. John 14, 12, if you believe in me, you will do the works that I do. In verse 13, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus is inviting us to do work. To do work. Jesus is not inviting us simply to believe in truths about him, but to allow those beliefs about him to inform the life that I'm invited to live. But the beautiful thing connected to this is recognizing that what Jesus is telling us, this instruction, particularly in this section of the scriptures in John 14, what Jesus is telling us is that this connection of inviting us to do the work comes with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, look in, in John 14. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise that God's very presence, we're going to come back to this in a few minutes, he promises to come and actually live inside of us to empower us to do the work that Jesus is inviting us to do. But what are these works? What is this work that the Holy Spirit is calling us into, inviting us into? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit generally is in, involved in two things. There's many other things, but two things that Jesus gives instruction about in John 14 through 17. The first is from John 14, that the Spirit will remind us of the words of God. Remind us of the words of God. So again, what we think about when we think about the Holy Spirit and his work, the first thing we have to remember is that his work is to remind us of the words of God. But here's the reminder again in terms of the work. Jesus, giving us the instructions about what the Holy Spirit does, tells us that he will remind us of the words of God. He can't remind you of things you don't know. So the way I describe the first ministry of the Holy Spirit in this is that we have to have a relationship with God rooted in studying the scriptures so we actually can be reminded of the very words that God is giving us. The Holy Spirit cannot remind an empty vessel. I have to be reminded of what God actually said. The Holy Spirit is not going to give new revelation largely. He's going to remind you of what God has already said in his word. And if it is a new revelation, it's going to be confirmed by what he has already said in his word. The first ministry of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of what God has already said to us again and again, because we are so quick to forget, so quick to forget. <clears throat> Two most repeated uh, instructions in the Bible, fear not and remember. We are prone to forget. And so the Spirit has to continually remind us of the words of God. But secondly, the broad category of the work of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to do the work that Jesus is calling us to do. We cannot do this work without the very power and presence of God. We need his presence and power. But what are these works? Well, if you're thinking about the works of God, the text that gives us the most clear direction about this work that Jesus is inviting us into comes from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 in the work that's being distinguished here. Now, there's a beautiful play on words that's happening here 
in way, the way that Paul is describing these things because there's two lists. So again, in the text we have here, there's two lists. And it says in the first section, it says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I tell you these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And so what really what this is talking about, to give you a sense of what the distinguishing features of these things is, this is the work of the self. I'm putting myself at the center of my life and everything flows out of me. What I want, what I need. But then Paul says at the, at the second section is this is the, the fruit of the Spirit. So he uses a different word, but that word can also mean deed. It can also mean deed, but it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you want to know what the work of God is, it's these things. Start here. These are the work of God. Now, it's not you, work is not used there. It's the fruit. But think about this. When it says fruit, this is the effect of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. If you want to know if someone has had an encounter of the Holy Spirit and is walking with God, these should be the effect. The effect of Jesus' work in a, in a person's life, these should be qualities that are exhibited. And so again, just so we're clear, I'm not saying that knowledge is not important because again, we have to have an understanding of what God says. But I'm far less concerned with how much you know and far more concerned with what you do with what you know. These things are the effect of the Holy Spirit in the work that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. Now, some might say again, because it says love and peace, joy, love, joy, and peace. These are not actions, right? These are not works. But these are not, you don't learn about, you don't become a person of peace and joy by studying a lot about peace. It just doesn't happen that way. You don't experience the joy that God is inviting us to experience by studying a lot about joy. You have joy and peace from God when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit's work and presence in your life. Because your joy and your peace transcends circumstances. Your joy and your peace transcends your struggles. It goes beyond what you know to what you're experiencing because the Holy Spirit is giving you this new insight, these new realities, this new strength that you don't have naturally. Think about it this way. It's an attitude or a behavior that's flowing out of a power I don't naturally have. It's an attitude or a behavior that's flowing out of a power that I don't naturally have. This is the effects of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, look at the list. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are behaviors that are largely in relationship to other people. We're going to come back to this. We can't practice these works in isolation. 
we usually are practicing patience as we're dealing with another person. We're usually practicing gentleness when we're dealing with another person. So we recognize these virtues, as the Bible would describe them, these virtues are in, done as we relate to one another. These virtues are not about how much I know, but how I act in view of what I know. How I act in view of what I know. If I know I'm loved and forgiven, if I know that I'm accepted by God and forgiven by God, then I don't get bent out of shape when someone comes at me. Because that's not the worst of it. They don't even know how bad I really am. And yet God has forgiven me. When someone is not patient with me and I recognize how patient God is with me, it allows me to extend a patience I don't have. Why? Because I recognize the patience that God extends to me because it's been revealed to me by the Holy Spirit just how patient God is with me. For a day is like a thousand years. How many times does God forgive? Seventy times seven. And, and infinitely more. One of my favorite verses in thinking about the way this works in terms of kindness, the idea of kindness, is from Romans 2, verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance? The riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience. This is the kind of life that God is inviting us into. Us. He's inviting us to show restraint. Like, think for a minute how many times you've had the opportunity this week to show restraint. And maybe didn't. Now, there's grace for that that we'll come back to in a few minutes. But the recognition is that God is inviting us to show restraint when someone comes at you. When things are not going your way, when the Q train says it's supposed to come in five minutes and comes in 18 minutes. When your boss says at five o'clock that you have five more things to do, when you wait in line in Bellevue to try and get into shelter and they say, sorry, you got to come back tomorrow. God is inviting us to show restraint and self-control. He's not inviting us to believe in restraint. He's inviting us to practice it. To practice it. See, the first of the behaviors in Galatians 5 come naturally to me, right? Those come naturally. It's naturally, natural for me to be upset. It's natural for me to not show patience. It requires a power that I don't have to show self-control. It requires a power that I don't have to be generous with my time. Some of us don't have a lot of money. It doesn't require us to have money to be generous. We can be generous with our words. We can be generous with our time. But this is the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to live. Not to believe about 
Not to study about, to practice. To practice. So thinking about that list, we have to think clearly about what kind of life am I practicing? Am I practicing a life that's rooted in information gathering? I know a lot about Jesus. I can pass the test if you give me that. But the life test, not so sure. If you're asking me how I'm doing in being kind and faithful and gentle and showing self-control and loving people, which we're going to come back to in a minute, how am I doing in those areas? And some of us might be thinking, this sounds impossible. Who can do this? This is, again, precisely the point that Jesus is making because, again, the work of God that he's inviting us into requires that we trust the work of God. This is the second point that Jesus is making. As he's recognizing that he's setting this out for us, is that the, the work of God requires the presence of God. This is what I said earlier. So the second point is we recognizing is trusting the work of God is trusting that I re that doing this kind of work, being patient in my workplace, being generous with my time, giving sacrificially, is going to require the very presence of God in my life. If I could do this naturally, Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus is not inviting me to live a life that I can do on my own. I was running. Um, the whole, and when the summer comes, I'm, I'm usually trying to go for one long run because in the spring, I, I try and do a half marathon. So in, in the summer, on Fridays, because I love the beach, I'll try and take long runs uh, from my house all the way to Coney Island. It's about, a, it's about an eight and a half mile run. And it was very hot on Friday, like very hot. So I, I got to about mile four, and I was like, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I did about five and a half miles, uh, but then I stopped and got on the train and went to the beach and jumped in. It was glorious. But while I was listening to it, so first of all, I didn't make it all the way. But secondly, I was listening to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew in my devotions. And I was listening to the Gospel of Matthew with streetlights. It's an app you can listen to where it's each verse of the Bible put over be beats. Okay? So you're like listening to hip-hop beats. I'm a hip-hop head. So you're listening to hip-hop beats and, it's like, and someone is reading the scripture to you. Right? So I'm listen I've listened to Matthew 5 all the way to like Matthew... 17 or 18 by the time I finished. And what I was reminded of again and again is that Jesus is inviting us into the impossible. Again and again, when Jesus is inviting us to follow him, he's inviting us into the impossible. Jesus is not inviting us into doing something that we can do ourselves. He's inviting us to do the impossible by trusting that his power and presence is going to guide us in these things. If doing the work that God was inviting us to do was possible naturally, Jesus didn't have to come. This kind of self-control and patience and faithfulness requires a power I don't have naturally. But it comes with the promise of God's presence. Again, look at John 14. 
he the spirit of truth, the world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The promise from God to do the work of God comes with the promise that God will actually live in you. In you. So when you go and you leave this place and you say, this sounds impossible. I can't show self-control with my kids. I have a hard time in being having self-control when it comes to my addiction. I have a hard time in showing self-control when it comes to my social media consumption. I have a hard time when it comes to this idea of being faithful with, with my finances. I have a hard time when it comes to this. We're thinking about it only from the sake of what we can accomplish on our own. God is inviting us to trust His power. The one who made the universe with His voice lives in you if you are a Jesus follower. Like, just sit with that for a minute. That, that's the promise of the Scripture right here in John 14, 17. The one who made the universe with His voice promises to live in you. In you. So this work means admitting I can't do it by myself, but it comes with the promise that God says, I will do it through you. I will do it through you. This is the work that God's inviting us into. To practice the kind of self-control that will make a statement to the world that God's power resides in you. The kind of patience that demonstrates to your workplace or your shelter or your family that the power of God resides in you. And again, it's not that I'm taking credit because I recognize without the power of God, I will not practice that kind of patience. Facts. Give me five minutes. But if I trust in the power of God's very presence, I can practice a supernatural kind of generosity. But it's not just the presence of God as if that was not enough. I mean, we could just stop there, right? It's like the promise that God gives is that if you enter into this work that I will actually live inside of you. But Jesus goes a step further and says this, going back now to John 13, is again, remember, he tells us again and again that it's about doing the work. It's not about believing in your head, because again, this is the connection. Jesus now, back in John 13, as he's doing this incredibly profound thing for his disciples. And let's pause here again. Jesus is about to die, and he takes on, before he's about to die, the lowest of the lowest servant job for his disciples. John 13. He washes the disciples' feet. This was the servant's servant's job. So he takes off, he disrobes, he puts off, he takes a towel and he goes around the room and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. Now again, Think about the, the nature of what's happening. All of them are about to deny him on some level, but not only are they all going to deny him on some level, he washes Judas's feet. 
the man who moments before sold him out for a few coins. And Jesus says this in, in John 13, verses 16 and 17. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not blessed if you know them. Blessed if you do them. And what is he saying? Later on, the disciples will come to understand what, what he's saying is love sacrificially. Love your enemies. Love when they don't even understand what you're doing. Love when they might not in the moment thank you. This requires a kind of power I do not have naturally. This kind of love will not come naturally to me. It will not come naturally to me to love people that want nothing to do with me. It will not come naturally for me to love people who will not want my help. It will not come naturally to me to love people who are actively against me. It will not come naturally to me to love people who behind my back are doing things that are trying to undermine me. It will not come naturally. It requires a power I do not have, but a promise of power given when I trust His plan. But here's the beauty. It's not just the power. Jesus says, right, blessed. Blessed if you do them. Because here's the, the beauty of this. When you go back to the text in Galatians 5, and Jesus and, and Paul is, is telling us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Here's the, the blessing. I'm being changed. I'm being changed. You know who forgiveness is for? It's for me. It's not for them. You know who patience is for? It's not for them. It's for me. Because I'm being changed. Now, it, it blesses them, right? Patience blesses them. But you know what it's doing? It's changing me. That's the blessing. You want to know what God is inviting me into when it comes to this work? It's about God changing me. Self-control is changing me. It's making me better. Faithfulness is making me better. So I recognize again, when Jesus is inviting us into this kind of work, the blessing is a changed life. A changed life. We are not changed simply by knowing these things. We're changed by doing them, by being faithful. You know how you're changed? You're not changed by thinking about coming to church. You're changed by coming to church. Think about it even in the most practical of ways. You can read all the cookbooks you want. That doesn't make you a chef. You know what makes you a chef? Cooking food. 
blessed are you if you do these things. Now again, Jesus, I've already stated again and again, this is not about earning anything with God because Jesus has already done that. This is a response to what Jesus has done. My work for God is a response to the incredible, immense, gracious, merciful love that God has extended to me. It's a response. It comes with the promise, though, of blessing. Blessings come. Forgiving my enemies. Forgiving my enemies. Being generous with my time comes with the promise of blessing. And Jesus says, if you don't believe me, try it. Try it. He's changing me. But again, all of this is a response. Be, let me be clear. The work that Jesus is inviting us into of being patient and kind and generous and faithful is a response to the work that Jesus has done. This is what we're going to do in a few minutes. Why do we need to remember the table again and again every week? Because we're so tempted to think that it's about what I do. God loves me because of what I do. No, he loves me because I trust what he did. He did. And my life then is a response, a loving response to what he did. Being a Jesus follower is learning to do the work that Jesus has set out for us. To be patient and kind and generous and faithful. Another way of thinking about it, again and again in the scriptures, it's about practicing the one another's. Type it in, and, and when you leave later, think about all the times that Jesus says, or Paul says, one another, do for one another. That's the kind of life, that's the kind of work that Jesus is inviting us into. The one another's. Bear with one another. Be kind to one another. Generous to one another. All those things. That's the kind of work that Jesus is inviting us into that naturally I will not want to do. Do you think I'm going to want to prioritize the needs of my kids above my own? Absolutely not. Safe the power and presence of God. I don't want to go to Claire's. I mean, <laughs> naturally, no. Right? But I do when I recognize that it's about me entering into a relationship with Jesus says, put me first and I promise to take care of you. Give your time and talent and treasures to those around you and trust that I will pour into you. Demonstrate forgiveness to people that will never forgive you and know that the work is actually about me changing your heart so that bitterness and anger and hatred doesn't set into your life. This is not, Christianity is not an invitation to self-effort. It's an invitation to giving up on trying to do it by myself. And trusting that God's very presence will help me to be the kind of person that will reflect an incredibly powerful God working in incredibly broken people. My life demonstrating an incredibly powerful God working through incredibly broken people. That's what my life ought to look like. 
So if I'm giving you the, the, the final instruction about this kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into, this is the way I would describe what it means to be a Jesus follower. If you ask me what it means to be a Jesus follower, this is what it would mean. Being a Jesus follower is about learning to close the gap between what I know about God and what I do with what I know while resting in the power and the grace that exists for the gap between those two. Being a Jesus follower is about learning to close the gap between what I know about God and what I do with what I know while resting in the power and the grace he gives to close that gap. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower, in my mind. There is power and grace that exists in between the gap between what I know about God and what I'm doing with what I know. But God is giving me grace and power to close that gap. Because that's where the power is. We live in a world of information. People are not going to be transformed like largely because of what you know. They're going to be, they're going to be transformed by seeing what you do with what you know. Do I love you enough to tell you the truth about who God is with my words? Do I love you enough to forgive you when you continue to do things that hurt and harm me? That doesn't mean I need to keep those people in my life. All I'm doing is I'm going to forgive you because I know it changes me. So the questions we have as we close are this. What kind of work is he inviting us into? Where does he need to do work in us and through us? Is it being more generous? Is it being more kind, more gentle, having more self-control? You have to answer that question. This is between you and God. I'm not putting any of that on, you, on me to describe what you need to do. That's between you and God. But God is inviting you to do a work. Not to leave this place believing more things. That's where it starts. But Jesus says you're not blessed by believing these things. You're blessed by doing them. By reading your Bible. You're not blessed by thinking about reading your Bible. You're not blessed by thinking about praying. You're not blessed by thinking about going to church. You're blessed by doing those things. And secondly, we can't practice them by ourselves. Going back to the basketball analogy, like I could go to Gowanus, I go to the Tom, I go to uh, Nicholas Hayward playground all the time and practice and shoot some hoops. I could practice all day long by myself, but that doesn't make me a basketball player. At some point, I have to get into a game. <laughs> I have to play a game. Shooting hoops by yourself does not make you a basketball player. Being in a basketball game makes you a basketball player. We can't practice these things by ourselves. You can't be, practice being having self-control by yourself. Being patient with yourself. I mean, that starts, sure, it starts there. So your workplace, your home, your shelter, the block, the bench, the train... These are the places that God is inviting us to practice the works of God. The works, the works of God. The effect of the work of the Spirit is these things in my life.
So I close with this before I invite Chris to do for communion this morning. Look, I, one of the things that frustrates me a lot about what's happening in our day and age is the way that the church has been largely absent in acting for good in our society. Acting for good. We have 2,000 migrants that are living in a shelter, men, largely men living about a 20-minute walk from here, right? And there's lots of talk about what should happen. We have lots of churches that recognize that racial injustice and racism exist out in the world and have talked and written books and conferences about all those things. We have lots of churches that talk about homelessness and the issues that folks in our city are facing relating to houselessness issues and homelessness, but it's all talk. What would it look like for us as the church to get our hands dirty in doing the work? I will want to join Jesus in doing this work when I recognize that he got dirty and got into my mess and cared for me. I'll want to help at the mom's ministry. I'll want to help at the pantry where we served 227 families yesterday in this space. 627 people blessed by groceries because of seven volunteers who showed up in this space yesterday. Seven. I'll want to get involved in addressing the issues of racism and homelessness and the migrant struggle. Not from a thought life, right? But from action. Put me in the game, Jesus. Put me in the game. But not because I'm doing this to say, look at me, Jesus. Not to say, you're going to accept me or welcome me because I'm doing these things. But by recognizing again, Jesus, you loved me in my mess and have invited me in to do this work. You're inviting me to be a reflection of your power through the way I use my time and my talents and my treasures every day. I want to do the work Jesus did, caring for people when I recognize that he came not to be served, but to serve. It's not about earning favor with God, but living out of favor with God. This is why we come to the table to remember that we rest in the finished work and then join him in the work that he's inviting us into.